I went around every one of them. There wasn't a player that didn't get it. And literally, Lammy said, he could smell what I'd had from my breakfast. I was that far away from his face. And they were getting everything. They were getting everything. It was their parents' fault. It was their grandparents' fault. They were getting the whole piece and just ripped. And some of the words that were coming out were Glaswegian that the boys wouldn't have understood anyway. And it was the referee who told me afterwards, he said, I haven't heard some of those words for years. Welcome to the latest episode of Wearing the Red and Green. In this week's show, I speak to our former coach, Jim Melvin. Jim is up there as one of the finest coaches that the club ever had. We discuss his coaching career, his time at Stag Meadow, his close partnership with Keith Scott, his and Keith's regrettable exit, and what was his favourite dressing room bollocking that he dished out. I hope you enjoy the episode. Jim, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Great to have you on. How are things? Yeah, really good. Really good. Um, as you can see from the background, working away, still running the business, um, still following my, my erstwhile uh, lover. Um, that's Celtic, by the way. Um, <laughs> and delighted with the result yesterday in, in, in beating the, the, um, the tribute act from the other side of the city. <laughs> And are you happy with uh, Brendan Rodgers' reappointment? Um, I will as long as he keeps beating Rangers. Um, I, I, I was a bit uneasy. I loved what Postacoglu was doing. Um, and he will do fantastic at Tottenham, which will please Coops because he's, he's a Tottenham man, isn't he? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he, listen, he's, he's, he's as good as we're going to get at this point And he's just got to win the league. So I'll begin up for the Champions League games because I've still got my season ticket there. Love it, love it, love it. And are you still involved at all? No, no, I am. Um, the business has grown and grown and grown. And um, believe it or not, Geggy, I, I still play in a band as well. I'm a drummer. Love um, it. And I just, I just ran out of time. Um, I went to Beaconsfield. I did. We won the Bucks and Barks there, and I'd, one or two other clubs came in and. I always said if Scotty had found them somewhere else, um, I would happily go and work with them again. Um, but it's and and the other thing is, of course, I'm getting older and it's a bit of a young man's game. Um, <laughs> but, but if if Scotty got something and he wanted me to help him, I'd I'd always go and help him. He's a, he's a, he's a mate, and that will never change. Well, listen, I've got a huge amount to cover today, but I want to start by asking, like, where did football begin for Jim Melvin? Right, so my family in Scotland are steeped in Celtic. So um, my second cousin, you may remember the name, Pat McGinley, played for Celtic, Hibs, yeah. Bolton. Yeah. Um, he was my second cousin. Um, my grandfather, uh, uh, Pat Kelly, was manager of Blantyre Celtic, who um, were a, a non-league club. But he was also best mates with Jock Steen. Um, they were mm. minors together down Burn Bank. In fact... My mother's sister, my late aunt, Jockstein was her godfather. Um, so the the club were 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 steeped within the family, um, and I went to a school in Mullerwell, just outside Glasgow, at Ladies High School, which is also uh, a big football uh, school. Which is um, Billy McNeil, Matt Busby went there, 
um, and latterly Kieran Tierney. Um, I don't think they'll ever have my name in a plaque there, but they've got theirs. You never there. know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, you know. And I played school and, and you know, representative and stuff like that. But I was a centre-back. Um, let me put it to you this way. I would have made Tilbs look cultured. Okay? <laughs> that's seriously. Um, I guess in the modern-day game, I'd just be called a thug. And I'd leave it at that. Um, but I came south. Uh, I came south. I was drumming. Um, and um, ended up with a band with a contract with AM Records. So we were doing some tours and stuff like that. And I'd been playing in North London with, I don't know if you remember, a non-league club. They were called Brobs, B-R-O-B Barnet. No. And they played in the Spartan League and right. those kind of things. Been playing there. And then at about four or five years, because of the band stuff, where I wasn't playing at all. Um, not that MD noticed. Um, but then moved into the Buckinghamshire area, played a bit of football at Marlow, at Flackwell. Um, by that time, I was getting into my 30s um, and decided to do my coaching badges. Yep. Um, because uh, the manager at the time told me that centre-forwards weren't, weren't beating me anymore. They were ignoring me, which was which was harsh, but true. <laughs> um, and Jimmy Kelman, I got to know very well, um, a great man, still speak to yeah, Jim. Yeah. And he encouraged me to do my badges and got me through my intermediate my you know you begin and then you go to lily shaw so i went on the pro course at lily shaw for two weeks um one of the best two weeks of my life um a lot of a lot of good pros on there everybody wanted to get through and i think there was about 70 people on that and 18 got their full badge and i was lucky enough to be one of them came back coached at flackwell through flackwell and through jim kelman he took me to wickham yeah. Um was obviously there for oh, six or seven years working with obviously Martin, but also um John Gregory, Neil Smiley, Alan Smith. Um learned a lot, both on what you should do, but also just as much in what you shouldn't do. Yeah, I was gonna ask like, what are some um, big key learnings from those individuals? If I look at Neil Smiley, Neil was a great coach, a really, really good coach. Um, very detailed, very precise, knew how to set up his team, and I really enjoyed watching Neil coach. Um, everybody says that Martin wasn't a coach. He was a coach. He was just different. Martin was all about the unit, and to some extent, we probably tried to replicate that, Scott and I, uh, at Windsor. Mm. Um, it was all about the unit, all about the togetherness, all about the camaraderie, you know, the, the team bonding. Um, but what he would do, I mean, he would he would have Paul Franklin and and myself and others doing doing coaching and games and so on and so forth. But he would walk about and he would pick individual players, and he would pull them out and talk to them about what they should do and what they shouldn't do and where there were strengths and where they had weaknesses. And he was brilliant at it. And 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 I see that as coaching. It's just a different type of coaching. Um, and he was superb at it. And there wasn't a person in that club who didn't know what he expected. And his team talks and his getting people going and being part of the unit were legendary. Legendary. I've got so many examples of... I remember we played Coventry and I think it was the Milk Cup. We lost 3-0 at Coventry. And it was on the television at, the Wick, the, the, at Wickham the following week. 
and he came into the team talk and he talked through how the game was going to be played. Get a goal up, 20 minutes, don't worry about it. Don't go hunting three, just get one. Come in at halftime, one nil up. Keith Ryan scored, that was what we did. He told us what was happening next door with these Premier League players because Bobby Gould was the manager there at, at, at Coventry. And he said, they'll he'll be screaming at them, they'll think they can swan through. Get a second when halfway through the second half and you'll get a third. And that was exactly what happened. And we went 3-0, extra time. Um, and he, he said, if we get free kicks around the box, Jason, to, to Cuz, he said to Cuz, you have it. And everybody's looking at him. And we got, you know what I'm going to tell you, we got a free kick, Cuz took it and smashed it straight in. We're now 4-3 up in the game. That's unbelievable. And... Phil Babb scored for them from a corner, and I think I think it ended up 4-2. It might have been away goals, but we went out anyway. But I remember sitting with him in the dressing room afterwards think, and saying to him, how did you do that? That was like reading a book. I, I got an education that night. It was, it was, his experience and his knowledge was fantastic, and he got it across, and the boys had that belief. They believed in what he said. John Gregory was different. John was had a reputation for being a bit jack the lad and stuff. I never found that with John. I found John a very genuine, decent man. Uh, he was very decent with me. Um, and he was a good coach. But he, he was more of a practical coach, um, more set-up sessions, yeah. more, you know, more working in specifics. But you, you, you learn. Alan Smith came in and Alan didn't have a good time. He... He had a great coach with him, Dave Kemp, who used to be the manager at Slough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Alan couldn't, for me, he couldn't get the message across to players. He just, players didn't believe in him. Um, and they'd just been used to sort of five or six years of Martin O'Neill, who, who, was, who, who was a force of nature. Yeah. Um, and, and he tried to make his Crystal Palace, you know, he, he tried to change the kit and do this and... And players, players just won't have it. And and he needed to be more honest with players for me. Um, so you learn from people what to do and what not to do. And and the big thing for me was honesty. Just be honest with people. Yeah, totally. And I guess that's also where, where your relationship with Keith obviously must have started. Yes. Yeah, Scott and I it got on straight away. And I mean, I'd been at Flackwell, I'd coached at Marlow, Chelsea, obviously Windsor, and ended up at Beaconsfield. But my time at Wickham was where I, uh, I got to know Scotty. Um, good lad. You know, Scotty's got opinions about everything, <laughs> right? Even, even things that he doesn't know about. Um, and he makes me laugh, but he's one of the most honest men I've ever met. And if Scotty tells you he'll do something, he'll do something. Um, and I would trust him with my life. And it was the same when he, he asked me to get involved with him. And I I remember when he did, and I said, yeah, I was, I was thoroughly enjoying my time at Marlow, working with Kevin Stone um, and Graham Bressington. Uh, it's a good club. I would never hear a word said against it. Yeah. Um, and at the time, believe it or not, I disliked Windsor big time. <laughs> Why was that? Because <laughs> Windsor always came across as kind of a little bit big time, a little bit, you yeah. know, it was a bigger club. Yeah. Um, and and I used to always want to sort of put one across Windsor, to be fair. <laughs> um, but Scotty phoned me and said he'd the job. And the funny thing was the rumour had been going around for weeks because 
I'd gone to Brookhouse one night to watch Brookhouse play Windsor. Uh, and I didn't know Scotty was going. Um, and Kevin saw the both of us and was talking to us. And of course, there, Simon Lane was there then. And the rumour went round that we were coming in. And the truth, it, it wasn't true. I had gone absolutely independently to watch a game. Um, and then a few weeks later... We were just about to play Marlowe, weren't we? I think. Yeah, well, that was the point. And, and you were 3-0 up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the game. Yeah, and and I I, I went absolutely potty at halftime because we yeah, hadn't what happened in that Marlow dressing room at halftime? Because they say you guys were three well, nil up, and we were three nil up. Yeah, you were three. You were three nil up in the game, and it used to be Kevin would say a bit, Graham would say a bit, and then they'd leave the rest to loudmouth here, and and I took the paint off the walls, um, and just told people home truths because they hadn't laid a glove. They'd paid far too much respect. Windsor were there for the taking, even although they were three 0 up. Yeah. Um, but then Simon Lane made some really strange decisions in the second half, which to this day I don't understand. There was one point because it was all about the next goal. If it went four 0 the game was done. Yeah. But it went three one, and then you had an injury. I can't remember who it was, and he took an age to 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 make a decision, and you ended up playing for a bit. It felt like about 10 minutes with 10 men. And in that time, we got a second. And when you get the second, the thirds follow. Yeah. And what really happened then was I looked at some of the boys that I got to know very well, and they kind of capitulated on the night. Um, it went three each, four, three very quickly, and it ended up five. Um, but what people don't know is that I got a call but two days later from one of the lads at, at Marlow. John Caesar's boy saying, I've had a call from Simon Lane. Can you give can I give him your number? Can I give you a call? And I said, Yeah, if you want. Um and I was in I remember it. I was in Covent Garden when the phone rang and it's Simon. And I said, um, yeah, I, I didn't know Simon. How how you doing? He said, Look, I could hear everything that was going on in your dressing room at half time. He said, um, I liked the way things were done. Would you come and join us? coach, assistant manager at Windsor. Um, and I may not be the best in the world, Geggy, but I'm fairly black and white, and I don't like things like that. And I said, but you've got an assistant manager. You've got a coach. He said, yeah, but I'll make changes. I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Um, and I just said, well, it's really kind, but you know, not for me. I, I think you should be talking to your own fellas first. Um, and then what happened was I'd gone to Bridgewater with Marlow and we're on the coach coming back and Kevin Stone says, I've just had a call from Scotty. He wants to talk to you. He says he's going to give you a call. So Scotty did it the right way. I was about to say, so Keith um, clearly did then do it the right way by going yeah, to Kevin. Keith, Keith knows, yeah, absolutely. He said, do you mind if I have a chat with Jeb and told him what it was? And Stoney was great. He said to me, if you want to stay, be delighted. It's a bigger club. He's your mate. If you want to go, he said, great. He said, if you go and it doesn't work out and you want to come back, great. And that was, Stoney and I are still mates. They saw him obviously like the other Saturday. And I said to Scotty, well, I'll come, but I, I, I don't want to be the bald bibs and cones guy. If I'm going to coach, I'm going to coach. Yeah. And he said, that's what I want. He said, because um, I, I want to manage. Um. 
and that that was that was how it happened. So um, yeah, ended up coming over to to Windsor. I think fourteenth in the league when we came there. Yeah, something like. that. And when you did come in, I mean, Simon had Simon had, to, to be to be fair to him had built up a good squad, I and mean, that was a good squad of players. Very good, massively yeah, very consistent. Good. What did you and Keith do initially to try and make some of those changes to try and bring in? more consistency because you say that Marlow game you obviously detected a lot of bits that were wrong with it like what did you kind of some of the early things that you and Keith did to try and instill more consistency in that squad I felt watching the Windsor team and I, I know Keith felt the same so when I say I it's we um, that Windsor were fragile and that if the grass was green and the sun was shining and and they put a few passes together, they could take seven off you. Because you're absolutely right. Simon put a team together with some cracking football players. There's no argument and he should be commended on that. What was missing, though, for me was organisation. Yeah. Um, and so you would watch players who could play and going forward, yeah, they could play. When it came to doing the dirty side of the game, maybe not so much. And I know every manager and coach says it, but there was aspects of the game where they didn't look fit enough. Um, and so if I go back to the Marlowe game, after about 75 minutes, and to be fair, our boys were had got back into the game, so their confidence was flying. Um, they looked on their feet. And I remember saying to Scotty, I don't, I don't think they're fit enough. We're going to... But the most important thing is you've got intelligent footballers there, bright lads. There didn't seem to be a huge amount of organisation or discipline. Yeah. And therefore, that was what we concentrated on. We concentrated on, believe it or not, that players understood that Scotty was the manager and I was the number two. We weren't mates. That was the rule. And if we were training at half past seven... We're training at half past seven, not quarter to eight. Um, and if we're training, you can't be training. You don't phone us at 25 past seven to say, oh, my granny's died for the third time. You know, none of that nonsense. You're either... I used to have a phrase, Gaggy, and Scott used to laugh at it, which was, if you've signed a contract or you're taking the money, when you come training, when you come to the games, turn up with your working clothes on. Don't turn it up thinking it's going to be a stroll. Um, and it's okay for managers and coaches and big mouths like me to say all those things. Players have got to respect it and they've got to take it on and they've got to want to join it and they want to believe in it. And those boys were, to a man, were magnificent. They were, I've, I've been lucky enough to be in two dressing rooms where I felt we could beat MD. Wickham was one. Because the camaraderie, there was no cliques, there was everybody got on. And Windsor Neaton was the second one. And I loved working with those lads. Yeah, I mean, and, we'll and it's still a pleasure to see them. We'll come yeah. on later to how far that team could have could have gone. Yeah. But I, I just to echo what you say there, from the amount of players that I've interviewed just through the podcasts, each of them to a man will say they were the those days were their best. In, mm. in non-league careers, works both ways. Um, 
And we did things like players have got to believe in you. So, for instance, and I think you'd, you would have seen this being, being a supporter and, and watching the games. People talk about a plan B. We had a plan B if things weren't going well. We used to go 3-4-3 three, three because we had lads at the back that we trusted. And with a goalkeeper in Rob Bullivant, who he was a big, quiet lad, but he was a strong lad. Yeah. Um, and we would go three, four, three, and you know I hear phrases now in the game, gegging press, and we called it squeezing up when the first man closed down. Um, you know, defensive pivots. Well, we didn't. Have to, we had Bruce and Seeds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and then they did the marking. One would mark their calves, and the other one would mark their ankles. But they, 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 <laughs> they, they were great. Um, but you had a team full of characters. You know, if you look at it. Coiny, Butts, Coops, the Parson Boys, Fags, Bruce Seeds, Bully, Chens. I'll tell you who doesn't get the credit. And I've I've listened to podcasts. I do listen to them. Yeah. Um and I've not I've not heard them mentioned, and he should be mentioned because he, I, he was a cracking player for the team. It's Joe Chandrahan. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Where you had Ports, you had Scotty Thomas, you had Jake Parsons, all playing the right. And yes, Ports could play in the left and, and you know, one or two others. But Joe gave you that balance in midfield. He was a natural left footer. And there wasn't too many players in the team worked harder than Joe. He ran all day. Worked his stocks off yeah. week in, week out. All all day long. And, you know, you Ports and obviously you'd Michael. Um, and... Uh, I've heard some of the, the podcasts, Gaga, where they said, you know, they talk about all the running that we used to do in pre-season and, and stuff like that. And we did. But we used to do most of it in pre-season. We'd have them in three times a week. And we'd be, we used to run from the ground up to the Great Park. Yeah, Scotty and I would go in the car, mind. Um, and they'd be running up hills and they'd be doing all the old-fashioned things that people now laugh at. But you needed to get fuel in your legs. And on the Saturdays especially, we do loads of ball work. And in the training sessions at the ground, we did lots of ball work as well. But maybe once a month, we would have yeah. what they called a beastman session. But listen, it wasn't really. It was for 30, maybe 40 minutes. <laughs> and then it was, we'd go and have a, a bit of food or something like that. Um, but, but I used to take pleasure out of reading the opposition manager's programme notes. And they would often talk about Windsor as being supremely fit and organised. And that that's credit to the players. Totally. I mean, I look back at those days and I remember um, you'd get to the, the last 10 minutes of games and the fitness, I mean, it just showed massively. I mean, we were, the amount of games that we won in the scoring goals, 85 minutes plus, because we were so much fitter than the opposition. 13 times in that season we won the league, I think. We either got a draw from a defeat or a win from a draw. Yeah. And that, that's that's not an accident. But I, I keep coming back to it. You know, as a, as, a, as a manager or a coach, you can talk all day to players. If they don't want to do it, they won't do it. Those boys wanted to do it. Yeah. And yeah. they should get the credit for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Now, listen, in your first full season that you and Keith were there, when Truro won the title, yep. Yep. Um, one of the games of the season 
that year. And I still say is one of my favourite Windsor games of all time was when we beat Slough 6-2. Yeah. As a coach, like how pleasing is a performance? Because for me, that felt like a complete, you know, the complete performance, albeit we conceded two late goals. <laughs> but that's sort of how pleasing as a coach is that when a performance like that, now you may say that wasn't a perfect performance, but supporter looking in, it felt like that was a, the most complete performance of a Windsor side. I'm going to tell you a story which um, which you may or may not believe because I always rem- I also remember, did we not beat Chesham something like 8-1 in the League Cup? Yes, we did, a box and box. Barks and box, and we battered them. Yep, and that was superb. Yeah. Um, and I'll they were that, they actually. were doing well. Yeah. They, they were doing well under Andy Lees at the time. Yeah, um, and came down to us, and we tore them apart. Yeah, um, I, I can't remember whether that was before or after the slow game. I think it was after, but on the night of the slow game, Derek Sweetman was the manager of the slow, and Sweets is an old pal of mine, a, a proper decent lad. Yeah. Um, and the truth is, yeah, the boys that night were some of the football, especially in the first half, was exhilarating. Yeah. And as a coach and a manager, you just sit back and enjoy it because you can tell after 10 minutes. I used to do the warm-up with the boys. I'd take them out for the warm-up. And coming in, Scotty and I had a little sign that would tell me whether the boys were up for it or whether we'd have to really, you know, do some work. And they were up for it that night. Big Derby, this, that and the other. But when we were coming in after the game, I said to Scotty, right, we'll need to congratulate, but we lost two late goals. So the truth of the matter is, if you ask the boys and they remember properly, I gave them a bollocking for losing two late goals. <laughs> right. And it's all part of the, the big act thing, you know, till people understand the intensity and where you want to try and get to. But that night, they were magnificent. Uh, absolutely sensational. Coiny scored the world, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He scored. He scored an absolute. See that boy should have played in the league. He yeah. should have played in the league. Um, I love Coiny as a lad. Um, it was great to see him last week, and he should have played in the league. There's no question in my mind he should have played in the league. Um, the only problem was if you played Coiny, you had to play him right back, left, centre mid, up front, left winger, right, because he wanted to play everywhere. Um, but with a great line with Coiny because I interviewed Coiny because uh, I remember Keith saying that Coiny was one of Keith's big regrets in terms of he moved on and what have you. When you, if you look back at Coiny, do you think you or Keith could have done anything different with Coiny? Um, well, you're putting a team together, and therefore it's not just about one person. Yes, you're going to have players who are better at doing things than others. Um, I think if Coiny was honest, he was also say at the time. Oh, he says he, he was, was an angry man. Manage. Yeah, he says yeah. he was totally open to that. I got on from I had Coiny at Marlow. Um, took yeah. Coiny at Marlow because people were interested, and and he did great for us at Marlow. He did absolutely great, and he had players around about him who were nowhere. In some cases, not in all cases, not as good as the ones he was playing with at Windsor. Um, and I think he enjoyed it because he was definitely, you know, top man. Um, but when he came to Windsor, we were, we were you know, 
trying to get things very organised. And he struggled with that at times because he wanted to play right wing, left back, centre back, you know. Could we have done more? I'm not sure we could because it takes it takes two to tango. Yeah, um, And I think we tried hard. I used to put my arm around Coiny regularly and also had a couple of tear-ups with him as well because sometimes that's what he needed. But underneath it, you knew Paul was a desperately decent lad. Yeah, you know there wasn't there wasn't an ounce there wasn't tr- truly an ounce of badness in Coiny. He was a desperately decent lad who happened to be a very talented footballer. His problem was he got frustrated so easy. Um, and sometimes you can't. So in answer to your question, I'm not sure we could, but whatever it was, had had it been able to do so, I wish we had, because he should have played in the league. Yeah, agree with that. Agree with that. Now, another big game during that season was Truro. And mm-hmm. Truro away, I've asked everyone this. And I've got, I've actually, you know, Coin is admitted to things from Truro away. Um, but were you were you up with Keith till the early hours waiting for players yep. to arrive back? Yep. Yep. And if you put money on it, I would have told you it was Seeds and Coiny. <laughs> I didn't know about it until I heard the first podcast, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> But I'd have been disappointed in Seeds and Coiny. In fact, I'd have found them if they'd not tried to do something. <laughs> because that was just the lads they were. Seeds, you know, great lad. Um, so, yeah, I, I know all about it now. And the biggest disappointment for me was they'd about five out injured or, or suspended. Yeah. And yeah. I had, I, I remember going down in the bus and I've never been so confident that we were going to turn them over. Really? Um, and, and and turn them over well. I'm not talking about one nil in the last minute. We were in red hot form when that when that we're game flying. was we we're absolutely flying. Well, I went to the ground so on the Saturday called off. And Sean McCarthy, who was the manager then, I know Sean and he's a big decent Welsh lad. And I said I met him at a game or oh, months or maybe even a year later. And I said, So it's true, isn't it? You'd the fire brigade out. And he just, because the pitch was flooded, if you remember. It wasn't frozen, it was flooded. Yeah, yeah. And he just looked at me and smiled. That was all he did. <laughs> um, but, you know, we we didn't, and unfortunately, the second game, well, I still think we were robbed in that because we sent off, well, not sure about that. Figs sending off was a joke. And the either the third or the fourth goal, the lad came down the right hand side where the dugouts were, and the ball was so out over the line for a throw in, and they this massive linesman because the referee that night came from Launceston or somewhere like that, it was about a mile down the road, and um, the this massive linesman he was oh he was, well let's put it this way, he could have lost four or five stone and come down to a nice cash six. Right, he he couldn't run. You know, you you know, you hear people saying, "Oh, he's he's too he, the game's too big for him." He was too big for the game, um, and he couldn't see it. You know, and um, Sean McCarthy thought it was hilarious because Scott and I were doing our nut. Um, but even there, you know, the boys kept going, kept going. Nine players was it four two? Ended up wasn't it? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and 
we we knew that first game we'd have turned them over. And as I say, I would have been truly disappointed. I would have fined Seeds and Coy if they'd not tried to do something. Because they yeah. were stonewall certainties that those two were going out. And good on them. Good on them. How difficult was it at the end of that season? Because obviously we then ended up in the playoffs. How mm. difficult is it when you're you know, part of that management team and the teams, you've been challenging for the title, you're the team that's finished second and you've got to go in. How hard is it to go in the playoffs when you've been challenging really for the hard. title? Yeah, it, 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 it is hard. And the truth of the matter was we, we knew for some time that was probably what it was going to be because, in fairness to True, I mean, they, they were flying to games and yeah, 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 a lot yeah, of money. Yeah. But, but they were a good side as well. They were, they were a crack inside. They had some really talented footballers. Um, and it's difficult because at the same time, uh, Didcot, wasn't it? And at the same yeah. time, they'd gone through a rough ride and came into form. Exactly. They came into it with the momentum. Yeah, they, uh, and it's hard. It's hard. No matter how much you talk to players, it's hard. And if you've got a bit of momentum behind confidence, it can take you places that you didn't think that you'd be able to go. Um, and for our lads, we'd played a lot of games that year as well. Didcot would say so had so had they. But we just and I remember at the time we quit with a few injuries as well, but we we ran out of steam. We ran out of steam. And uh, some of that's mental as well as physical. Yeah. Um and it and and the pressure is that of course you've then got that game in which you either get into the next league or you don't. And it was just a bridge too far for the boys. But what I will give them is this. I remember at Wickham when we lost the league, the, the conference to Colchester by goals scored. I remember that, yeah. You both got like I think, crazy number of points. I think we both had, I might be wrong here, Gigi, but I think we had about 97 points each. Yeah. And uh, Colchester, I think, had scored Eight more goals, something like that. Yeah. And I remember Martin saying it's the hardest thing in the world to get people razzed up to do the same thing all over again. And he did it. And, you know, Scotty was part of that. Um, I was part of that. And he did it. And you see how it worked. Just getting people to believe again. You've done it once. You can do it twice. But ultimately, you've got to give players credit. It's mm. not managers and coaches. Boys have got to turn up on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, pre-season, ready to believe again. And by God, did they believe. Did winning that Barks and Bucks help that? Yeah. Given yeah, that, you get a you know, that was a week after the playoffs or whatever, and then we had some silverware. Yeah. you get you, get, you Listen, people get a taste for success. They like the taste of success. They get a taste for picking up a bit of silverware. Um. And it was, I mean, it was a great place to go and play the final. Milton Keynes Dons, cracking stadium. Mm. It, it gave it a proper final sort of feel. Um, we won the game 1 0. Uh, Tilbs tackle should left where it should be um, because that wasn't a tackle. That was grievous bodily harm. <laughs> um, and um, but yes, it did give them a taste. But there's something else from that that, it, as well as giving you a taste of, picking up medals and getting a bit of silverware. It increases that camaraderie piece, that morale piece. And the boys enjoyed working together. Yeah. Everybody got on. 
there was there was no cliques, and therefore there was a piece about coming back to pre-season and getting ready to go again. Um, and also, I think it was that season. I, I seem to say it all the time. I remember having a rear up because we went to Bath City, didn't we, in the FA Trophy on a Sunday? Yeah, down at, and they played at uh, Twerton Park, wasn't it? Twerton Park. Yeah. And I think I think we lost the game two one. Um. And in the first half, it was a bit like Marlowe versus Windsor. We never laid a glove on. Paid them far too much respect. And I think we were two 0 down at half time, if memory serves me right. Came in at half time and oh, we, we we repainted the dressing room. I think I think there was a few people injured by one or two late adjectives, you know. <laughs> and um they went out in the second half and we battered them. I think Butts scored that day. I think we got two one in the game and we we there's another man who should have played league football. Um we battered them and I think memory serves me right. Their keeper made an absolute world in the last minute of the of the, of the game. Um, and I remember being annoyed with the lads because nobody deserves that level of respect. Let them earn it. By all means, earn it. And after the game, if they've earned it, say well done. Yeah. But don't give them just because they're in a bigger league and in a bigger ground. Sod that. Um, so, yeah, the, and the boys, in, I think they enjoyed the intensity. I really do. Um, and then we come back for the following season, and what was it? We didn't lose too much, did we? we didn't lose too much. Games. I mean, did you did you feel that we could go the whole season unbeaten? It's a big ask. Um, it is when you I get hope... to like March. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I remember being Scotty went mental when we lost two one at Bridgewater. He went potty, and it was a bad day that day because I think, was that the day I might have got my seasons wrong, but Craig Craig O'Connor was at the club and. He was not happy at being. No, Craig was think... the year before. Craig was the year before. Was it the year before, yeah. right? Okay, but Scotty went potty at the, um, and he was right to because you, that's your standards. You've set your standard, and we should have beaten Bridgewater that yeah. day easily. Um, but did I think we would go? Dependent on so many things, you know, players' form, injuries, referees' decisions, all those sorts of things. But you hope you are because with every game that passes, you start to tick them off, chalk them off. Mm. And you're thinking, well, it's March now. You know, there's, there's no reason. Um, and it came as a blow. It knocked, it knocked the boys for a bit. It, it really did because when you think you're undefeatable and suddenly you're not, it, it knocks the conscience a wee bit. But they got back into the swing of things relatively quickly. And I remember games... Gosport Burroughs games that I remember. But for instance, I remember going there beginning of the season. Scotty was on holiday. That's all right. And I took the team and I'm going down and the coach thinking, I can't lose this because he will cane me. If, you know. <laughs> and we're 1-0 down in the game. And their manager was a boy, Alex Pike, that was his name. And we didn't really see ITI, me and Alex. And it said Gosport Borough on the gates as you drove in, but he thought it said Barcelona. You know, and and he was giving us pelters the whole first half about who did we think we were. Been up the tunnel at half time, he's full of it. And then I think it was about 15 minutes left, I think Seed scored. And we went one each. And then, strangely enough, Michael and I were talking about it the other week. 
Chen scored with a header with about five minutes left. Yeah. And we beat, we beat them 2-1. And seriously, he was running around the pitch to get away from me. Um, <laughs> and um, and then with the game called off against them at our place because the pitch was frozen. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, when, yeah, they yeah. Came near, when they came near the end of the season, um, they were 1-0 up from a penalty, weren't they? And he was, oh, he was, he was doing my head in. He was giving it large. And we equalised. I think we got a penalty as well. And it was injury time. When I think it was Ben. Ben took the ball down, dug outside, stuck it in at near post, and Chen's come around and smashed it into the net. And I think Alex Pike's still running because I was heading it down that touchline, you know. But And that was the thing, as you said earlier. These, but the boys didn't know when they would be. Keep yeah. going. Totally, totally. Just keep going. Now, that season was when um, some of the financial challenges started to to bite. Um, Yeah. And some of the players went months without pay. You know, that's particularly that second half of the season. How or how difficult is was that? I guess for you as individually, but also like just as a as a management team, to be able to, you know, everything you were saying earlier about what you were putting into players at training, yeah. but then when they're not being paid, but you're still trying to demand what you're trying to demand out of them. How difficult was that, or was it because of their the mentality of those players that made it easier? I keep saying the same thing, and I, and it's because I mean it. Every element of credit should go to those boys because the chairman and and Dave Mudges as well, um, who's not in my good books for for, for that period, I'll tell you that for nothing. Um, the reality was that when Peter, the chairman, told us that the club was in trouble, first and foremost, he should have told us far earlier. Should have been honest with us because one of the things I'm I'm still very bitter, to be honest mm. with you, about the whole thing, Geggy. And my bitterness is not on any personal level. Bitterness that we didn't get the chance to take that team into the Premier because all those boys would have stayed and forget consolidation. I think we'd have had a good chance. I really do. Um so they should have told us earlier. And then all the narrative, if you remember, started that Scotty and I had bankrupted the club. Yeah. Now, I didn't really know that as a coach, part of your duties was to pay HMRC for about four years, especially when you've only been there too. Um, and things like, you know, the, cha- the chairman could have said no at any point. He could have said, I'm signing the checks. You're not getting them. When he finally did, I've been spouting on all the time we've been talking about honesty. Scotty and I spoke about it. Because winter for Scotty and I was almost a full-time job. So mm-hmm. let me tell you, we used to, we changed training to a Monday, if you remember, so that we could get out and watch games and players Tuesday and Wednesday. We trained on Thursday. Friday was our night off. Saturday was the game. And Sunday morning, about 10 o'clock to about 12 o'clock, we'd be on the phone talking about the things that had happened the previous day. So, Honesty was the policy, so, so we talked about it, and we got all the boys in the next training night. 
and they had butts, coops, and fags uh, as being their kind of representatives. And I think Bruce might have been there as well because there was somebody who was completely underestimated by a lot of teams and who was an absolutely superb mm, footballer yeah. and very, very decent, yeah, decent man as well. And we got them together and we told them. And what we said to them was, if you want to leave, because you won't have difficulty finding clubs, if you want to leave and you want to go to other clubs, we'll support you. Uh, but Scott and I, actually, months before that, had stopped taking wages because there was a lot of stuff going on at that time. Or we deferred them, is the truth of the matter. We said, well, look, if that's the issue, make sure the players get paid. Um, Which, again, is something that not enough supporters would have known that. Right. It was kept quiet, and I remember saying to Scotty, we should, we should be spouting from the rooftops on this, not because we want to be the big I am, but because it's just simply the truth. And mm. it, and we decided and were advised not to, so we didn't. Um, and, of course, it's all come out since, as it always does. But I'll, I'll tell you something else. What people don't know, you talked about the trip to Truro. Scotty and I paid for the hotel. And the second trip to Truro, we wanted to go on the Monday to give ourselves the best chance. And Scott and I paid for the hotel and the coach. Um, we didn't do any talking about it. We just got on with it. And the reality is that the boys all got together. We then left the boys to talk. And they're about half an hour and they came back and they said they wanted to stay together and they wanted to win the league. And I think... So proud of them for doing that because so many clubs people just have gone sod that I'm not getting my money I'm off and you couldn't blame them for it that's the thing yeah totally um, but they didn't they stayed together and they won the league um and won it with a bit of style because I can't remember the manager's name at Totten but I remember <laughs> he I, said some words was, before the home game didn't he. He got right up my goat, to be honest with you, because he said that we were supremely fit and organised, but that was as far as it went. Um, with nothing special and with no flair. And I remember... It was very the interview, personal about um, Victor Asubu. Yes, he was. All he could do was run, was what he yeah. said. Well, apparently he did a wee bit more than that when he stuck it in the net. Um, but I remember saying that did a wee interview of a local paper or whatever and saying, well, I keep hearing all this about well, this and well, that. We've played Totten four times and they've never beaten us. So we must be doing something right. <laughs> and maybe we deserve a wee bit more respect. Um, but and, and, and another thing that I remember, and one of them, it still makes me go cold. Um, you'll remember that year, Gavin, Gavin Smith, Cracking centre forward. Mm -hmm. Manager a bad shot leaner and he's doing well. And Gavin and his wife had a horrible tragedy with, with a kiddie. That's right. Uh, they, yeah. They, yeah, they lost a wee boy. And I'd known Gavin for a while and he took his wife away as he would to, to how do you get over something like that? And um, we'd money, we, we'd money for him that he, they hadn't received and we beat... Was it Bedfont we beat the day before we played Tottenham? I think Adam Dickens scored. Yep. yep. 1-0. Yep. And we um, were to play Tottenham on the Monday night. 
And Scott had said to me, there's money for Gavin. I said, I'll phone him. I think he's still away, but I'll phone him. My phone Gavin on the Sunday. Next time I see him, he'll probably punch me for telling this story. But I phoned, I phoned him on the Sunday and I said, Gavin, I've, I've got your money. Um, and he was, he was driving through France, heading home. And he started asking me about the game. And I said, yeah, we'd, we'd kind of crawled over. Dickel scored with a free kick near the death with a few injuries and this, that and the other. And I said, so we're playing Monday night. So we win it, we win the league. And he said, yeah, I was, don't send my money over because I'm thinking I might come to the game. And I said, and I'd Scotty and I'd already touched on this. And I said to him, well, maybe your boots would like to come to the game as well. And he, I'll never forget what he said to me, given everything he'd gone through. He said, I was hoping you would say that. Bless. And then you've got a problem. We've not got a problem. Then you've got a situation where you've got to say to the rest of the lads, listen, Gavin's coming in. Treat him normally. Yeah. Don't don't begin down different roads. Treat and that was they came in and the boys took the Mickey out of him. Um, yeah, I think yeah. he was on the bench, wasn't he? I think I think he played part of the game actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those kind of memories are very special. That's a special guy, and when he said that, uh, to this day it makes me go cold. And which again, right, as you say, just summarises the camaraderie that was in that mm. squad, the the whole club at the time. But you know, you you, you asked me. I mean. All that narrative came out. I know who I blame for that narrative. Um, mm. And as as you're aware, I felt so so bitter about it. And bitter is the right word that I ended up taking the chairman to to tribunal because he owed me a fortune. Um, and I won. And I didn't win to get the money because I didn't get it. Because by that yeah. time the club was kaput, and so was his business. For me, it was all about credibility. It was all about honesty. It was all about truth. Uh, and I remember saying that, and the local papers got a hold of that thing, and and stuff like that, saying it was and and reputation, because to this day, Gaggy, I've worked for some some decent managers, and Keith Scott is right up there, and Scotty could and should have gone on, and I think he would have done, but for all, he's a big strong lad. He he he. He got pilloried by stuff that just wasn't true. Um, and that's why it's very, you know, it was very important for me as I've been working on all the history at a club, et cetera, et cetera, in this podcast series, was 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 having you and Keith and on you know on this podcast because as I say, there's stuff that you know, support from a supporter's perspective, you hear a narrative, you know, you hear the narrative that that can come out. And that's why I think it's been really important for both you and Keith to, to you know, get the truth out there, and so people can, you know, genuinely, you know, hear what actually happened at, at that time. And you're absolutely right because it all started to come out as it always does in dribs and drabs. And that by that time it's too late. Um, someone else was in charge of the football team, and well, which ultimately I think was always the aim. Um, because we had little whispers about three or four weeks before it actually happened um, that that this was going to be the case. And you don't believe it because you don't think people will be that, well, there's no, no other word for it, mm. backstabbing. 
but they were. Um, and that's why when Mark Cook took over took over the club that the Saturday, the other Saturday when I came down, that's my first time back because I vowed I wouldn't go back whilst those people still mm. had anything to do with that club. I'll go back now. And I love going back, and it was fantastic seeing everybody yourself and all the boys. It's great and to Mal. see you. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, and Ange uh, and so on and so forth, because she didn't get the credit she deserved. Um, but that league winning season, here's a story for me. I never got a medal. <laughs> I think even Malcolm managed to bag himself a medal. <laughs> I'll leave up there, yeah. Well, we'll leave that one where it should be. But I'll tell you a story <laughs> about that. But I, I knew all about that. And, you know, fine, if that's what you do, that's what you do. But um, Andrew Fagan heard about it. And he offered me his medal. Bless. True, true story. He came up to me after the game and he said, I heard you haven't got a medal. I said, no. And I, I knew what happened. And I just, ah. It's, you can't take the memory, so it's not that important. And he said, well, I've got a chance to win more. He said, here, take mine. And it was a very genuine offer. I was very touched by it. And I said, no, Andrew, you might never get a chance to win another one. I said, you keep your medal, son. You've earned it. I said, but I'm really touched. Having said that, Gaggy, I think if I'd said, yes, thanks very much, Andrew would still be running. You know? <laughs> down the road for it. But if Andrew ever thought I'd forgotten that, I've never forgotten it. Um, and it was, yeah, a really nice moment to remember. Now, a question that I was going to, we kind of alluded to earlier, but how how far could that team have gone, do you think? Because they were all coming into the complete yeah. peaks of their career. Yeah, they were. I mean, okay, you'd you'd maybe um, Steve, Steve, Steve Butler and, and, and Coops, who were, were obviously towards the end of their career, um, but the rest of the boys were all of, of a decent age. And, yeah, you'd have to replace one or two or this, that and the other. But I said it earlier, I don't believe we'd have gone into the next division for consolidation. We'd have gone in to win it because that's our nature anyway, both Keith and myself. But more importantly, it was the nature of the boys. And and by that time, they genuinely believed that, yeah, they could take MD on. I mean, I remember us playing... I think it was Milton Keynes Dons. We played in a friendly and we beat them. Was it two or three? And and uh, Paul Ince, I think, was their manager then. And they were talking about, well, it was a team of trialists and it was this. Yeah, but Giggy, it wasn't boys they picked up from a bus stop on the way into Windsor. <laughs> These were boys that had been released at pro clubs. And, you know, so the, the team believed that they, they could win and they believed in each other. And somewhere down the line, they, I, I guess they believed in us. Um. But more importantly, they believed in each other and they would go to war. Um, and when you've got that, as long as you keep it going and keep feeding it, and I keep saying it, they went out together, you know, we'd sometimes come in and Scotty would phone me or I'd phone him and say, look, let's not bother training tonight. Let's go for a curry. Yeah. And yeah. just get that bit of camaraderie going and we'd go to the, the Viceroy or whatever it was and we'd, we'd go and get something to eat and just take the Mickey for an hour or two. And they loved it. They loved it and because they were all together. Yeah, um, yeah. And I can't remember, I heard one of the podcasts, I think it was maybe with Butts and, and, and Coops and Fakes, where they were talking about as much as the football, they used to look forward to getting together. 
Yeah. And I, and I think that was one of the most important comments that I heard because that's a truth. If you want to be with people who you know are got the same aim as you and want the same end game and you trust them, well, it can be an unstoppable force if you really want to push it. Totally. Um, and, and let's not walk away from the fact we had players there who actually could play a bit. Mm-hmm. No, Jake Parsons. If Jake Jake was riddled with injuries, ultimately wasn't he? Jake Jake could have gone on, and Jake was one that thought Scotty didn't like him. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, he came up. I've, I've known the the, the, the Parsons family for a long, long time, and a lovely family. And and Jake came to see. It was after it was a Thatcham game. We were Thatcham away, I think, in the League Cup, and he said, "I'm thinking they're leaving. Scotty doesn't like me." Well, where did you get that, Jake? Why oh, he doesn't play me? Go and talk to him. Come, come on, let's go and talk to him now. And it's that honesty of approach. And Scotty yeah. sat him down, told him what he wanted, what Jake. And and again, you got to give credit to the boy because he took it on and he did it. Um, and he was a tremendous player for us. Absolutely, you know, one of the first names down in the team sheet. Tremendous player. His brother Ryan. Ryan was an eight out of ten every week. Yeah, you know. Um, so the boys could play. I mean, Steve Butler, I thought, magnificent. You know, seriously, imperial, imperious. Sorry. Um, and you'd boys in that team that you know, as I say, Bruce Bruce Wilson didn't always get the credit he deserved because he was he was the engine. Um, and alongside Seeds, I remember did caught away it was when we decided to put Seeds in at midfield, and people thought we'd lost it. Yeah, I that's think, a genius decision, that. Well, and, and again, Siege just took to it like ducks to water. Um, and Ben Porter, Ben, and, and, and then you get into Michael Channels, who's another one. Brentford should have taken a, a chance on him. Should have, it cost them nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And M- Michael would have scored in any company. Yeah. Seriously. He just, he had that knack. You, you didn't coach it. He had the knack of knowing where to go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I think to answer your question, it's a long winded. You know, you ask me a question, it takes me about an hour and a half to finish. But <laughs> um, I think they would have. I think they would have gone on, and I'd have been disappointed if we hadn't got to the playoffs the following season. Really, honestly, you know, because yeah, and and with some little young lads coming through from the youth team, you know, we we um, coming through as well, and. What was his name? Ben Harris was coming through, mm. and we went on to play in New Zealand, didn't he? And mm. played it slow in the conference. Ben was a good player; he knew where the net was. So, yeah, the, it was going the right way, but people had a. I don't think they could control us. I think that was the problem, Geggy. I don't think the Scotty's a strong character. I've got my opinions. The team were strong characters. And I don't think I don't think it was how people saw how it should how it work it should work, and those people always forget the only thing that matters is what happens between three and quarter to five on a Saturday. You're irrelevant, and yeah. that goes for managers and coaches as well. Three o'clock to quarter to five. It's the game has always been about players, um, yeah. and we did cracking set of lads who it's still an absolute pleasure to see and. And for Windsor and Eaton now, the rebirth, um, I'd love to see Coops do well. 
I really, really hope he gets everything out of it that he wants because he deserves to. Now, listen, Jim, I'm going to fire some quick fire questions now to close. Okay. So, first question Who, I've got to try and word this one right. Who, when you look back, was your favorite lovable rogue? So, the player that you, you knew you had to bollock, but actually, you quite, you actually quite enjoyed, man. You, you quite enjoyed him. Well, Coiny has to sit in there. Coiny <laughs> has to sit in because he was, you, you could, you could wind Coiny up to get the best out of him on the park. But there was a delicate balance between winding him up to get the best on the park and I'm getting sent off as he did, for instance, after about 17 minutes against Truro. Um, so Coyne was absolutely, absolutely one. Ryan Parsons, you could you could have a little wind up with and he, he could go. And Seeds, believe it or not. Seeds. And I used to call Bruce Albert Tatlock because Bruce would just moan for for England, <laughs> um, but the, 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 there was a few of them. You could and and and, and Ben Ports 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 would bite as well. Um, a, a intelligent lad, a really intelligent lad, but he would have a little bite. But probably <laughs> Coiny would sit at the top of that tree. Yeah. And when you look back, what was your favourite bollocking you dished out? Was there a favourite where you you know you just as you say, you've painted the dressing room walls, but was there one that really stood out that you actually, deep down, you quite enjoyed it? There was, it wasn't at Windsor, it was at Marlow, and it was three of us, Kevin Stone, Graham Bresson, and myself, and Bress had played at Southend and Barnet and various other clubs with him. And we went up to, we got to the playoffs, and we went to, I can't remember the name of the team, the based in Walsall, for the playoff game, and we were we were flying and confident that we would get through, and we did get through. And I think Brackley beat us in the final at Brackley, um, and we were two 0 down at half time, and we hadn't we hadn't turned up. And funnily enough, the referee was Scottish. I always remember that, and we were in the dressing room at half time. And I don't know if you remember the lad, Jeff Lamb, who, yep. who played. So Lammy was playing. And he told me the story afterwards that Kevin Stoney had, had, had done his bit and Bress had done his bit. But all they could hear was this clack, clack, clack. It was me marching up and down in the showers because I was fuming. And then Stoney, Stoney's funny. Stoney went, right, lads, I better unleash him. And... I went around every one of them. There wasn't a player that didn't get it. And literally, Lammy said, he could smell what I'd had from my breakfast. I was that far away from his face. And they were getting everything. They were getting everything. It was their parents' fault. It was their grandparents' fault. They were getting the whole piece and just ripped. And some of the words that were coming out were Glaswegian that the boys wouldn't have understood anyway. And it was the referee who told me afterwards. He said, I haven't heard some of those words for years. And we, we drew two each in the game and we, we went through. Um went through extra time, I think we went through. And um at the end of the game we went in and it was Stoney 
we're all when everything quieted down, Stoney said, lads, that is the best rant I have ever heard. <laughs> he said, I haven't I haven't got a first idea about what he was talking about half the time, but it was a fucking good rant. Um, <laughs> And there, but there was also when we played Oxbridge, we lost, didn't we, at home to Oxbridge one round about one Christmas time. Yeah. And we, I think we were two 0 down at half time. I think we finally lost three two. But and Steve Butler was on the bench because he was coming back from injury. And we went at half time, and yeah, I'd I'd lost it as a you know as my one angry Scott, you know. And it was after the game, Butts came up to me. I really a lot of time for Steve, cracking lad. And he came up to him and he went, I got to tell you, he said, at halftime, he said, I was warming up over on the far side, you know, with the little terrace in us, <laughs> with the little cover. He said, I could hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's been one or two, but, you know, you can't do it all the time because it just becomes the norm. But um, on occasions, it's not the worst thing. Yeah, no, totally, totally. All right, was there a, was there a team or club that you loved playing against or managing against? Like you just always knew that, yeah, we're going to get a result here. They're like a lucky club. And then the flip side, was there a club that you absolutely hated? Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, in terms of coaching and managing, I mentioned it earlier, I used to love Gosport Borough. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. there was a mass wind-up. It was a proper wind-up. Um, and it was just two personalities more than anything else, or well, maybe one because I don't think he had one. But um, it was it was it was good fun. I used to enjoy that. I used to enjoy games against Chesham, believe it or not. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Just always used to enjoy them. Um, I, here's here's one for you. I hated playing Andover. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. To, yeah. And I don't know if you remember it, it was, we'd only been at the club a few weeks and we went to Andover, Keith and I. And I know that Craig O'Connor was there then because I'll tell you why. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Andover were bottom of the league and I think they'd one point. And we scored very early, Michael scored, we scored very early. But we came in 2-1 at half time, down, 2-1 down. Yep. And I remember Scott and I walking towards the tunnel dressing rooms. And I looked at him and said, this looks like the first time then, doesn't it? And he went, oh, yeah. Do you want to go first or second? <laughs> and I said, well, you're the manager. You go first, I'll go second. And again, it was Butts who, who told us it because Scott had said to me, he said, I'm going to go after Craig O'Connor because he's the bigger player in the dressing room. And if I go after him, all the rest will realise that you don't get away with anything with. Yeah. And Scotty went after, oh, and did he go after him? Because Scotty can go, you know. And 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 did he go after Craig? And he he ripped into Craig because he was at that point, I guess, the biggest player in the dressing room. And again, I tend I said to get into where the show area was and then came out and roasted them. And I think we drew two each in the game. But I used to hate going to Andover. I, I, I can't tell you why. I just everything about it just depressed me. Um, and I used to hate going to that place down near down near not Simon Cester, Cinderford. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
oh my God, the land that time forgot. <laughs> and I used to hate going there, but love going to Chesham, love playing slow, love playing slow. You guys um, had good records against Slough. Yeah, but it's yeah, yeah, and 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 also at the time, we <laughs> this is going to sound personal. Now. We regularly used to do Burnham, which yeah used to yeah, up, yeah upset yeah. a certain Mister Much, but but um. Yeah, those kind of games. Are, I, I like the local derbies, and when Jamie Jackson, uh, Jacko was at um, at Beaconsfield, those were quite fiery. Those yeah, were good yeah, games. Yeah. A, lot of time for, a lot of time for Jacko. It was a good lad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, final question: uh, yeah. Was Keith Scott ever wrong? Uh, probably around about February nineteen seventy six. I think. Uh, <laughs> no. no no, no is the answer. No is the answer. <laughs> At least in Scotty's mind, he's he makes me laugh, Scotty. He he, he makes me laugh. He's, he's but I'll tell you now, he's one of the the most trustworthy, honest, honest lads you could get. And here's here's a wee story for you, just to finish this. Nineteen ninety one, I was at Wickham, and I also had my own company doing coaching for schools and kids called yep. Coaching Academy. Um, because although we were full time, it wasn't enough um and i got ill i got peritonitis which is pretty serious stuff um and um i was in hospital for more than 10 days and scotty came in to see me um a lot of the boys come in but scotty came in one night and he said who's doing your coaching for you mate i said i haven't even thought about it keith he said right get your message to get me all the stuff i'll do it for you and I said, well, I'll need to sort you out. I'll need to you know, weigh you in. He said, don't worry about that. He said, we'll fix that later. That's a decent fella. That's a decent so. fella. And we became firm friends. And it was great to see him and Tina um, at, at the game. He's as honest as the day is long. And, you know, I know everybody, he sets himself up as this, sometimes as this kind of caricature. <laughs> um, you know, the, the pinstripe suit and all that sort of stuff. But he does it deliberately. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's 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 a very very decent fellow, and I I certainly wouldn't hear a word against him. Love it, Jim. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciate it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I said earlier, I think it's really important for me to have both you and and Keith um, previously um, because you guys achieved so much at Windsor, and you know none of those memories should ever be forgotten because. For me, it was one of the most fun, enjoyable times of being a supporter in over 30 years at Windsor. So thank you, and um, I've really enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. I loved my time at the club, considering it was a club for a while I didn't like. <laughs> um, I, I loved my time there. I met some fantastic people. Met one or two that I don't want to meet again, but I met some fantastic people. The supporters were always kind to us. That's, that's very true. Um, and a fantastic set of lads that I hope will be will, will stay in touch and be friends to to the, re- the rest of our days. Thanks. So thank and, you. Thanks for taking me down memory lane. No, anytime, anytime. And to all of you that have downloaded and listened, thank you very much. And um, we'll look forward to bringing you another guest in a, in a few weeks' time. <laughs>